0: speed is good this time i think last episode there were some technical difficulties on my end due to uh some floods close by in my area so anyways hopefully number 26 uh is good because we don't have Vince dag to save us with twitch unless he's watching right now uh once again our show is brought to you by the awesome patreons that uh patrons at, at our patreon and the wonderful folks at face to face Go check them out. The number one place to get your Magic the Gathering singles. So number 26. I'm really excited to talk about uh, Rob's pro tour and, and how Brian thought the coverage was because I saw him make a few tweets about it. So excited to just dive right in. And so we'll start. Rob, how's it going, guy? Did you just get back uh, today?
1: Yeah, I just got back like a half an hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> Rushing but through the cast. Thank you so much. I had uh, enough time to run the bath for my son, pull all the luggage in, and uh, make sure my computer works. That That's, yeah, I was I was kind of close <laughs> to the final minute.
0: <laughs> okay, so let's get right
1: down to it,
0: Rob. At the midnight hour, close to midnight hour, you finally said that you revealed to the First Strike Nation, which you could join at patreon.com slash First Strike, that you were changing to a deck, and you weren't really sure about it, right? That's what you said. In, in, in the yeah. Group.
1: I wasn't happy with any of the decks that we came up with. It seemed like uh, we built, each time we built something, because we were, like, stuck in a matchup or two matchups where we were felt behind, and we're like, okay, well, let's try this strategy, and then it would beat that deck, and we're like, okay, let's try it against, like, Mardu then, if it beats zombies, and it was just garbage against Mardu. So, like, okay, well, maybe we made these changes. It. It'll be good against Mardu. And then it's just, like, it's just bad against uh everything else. Um, so we just, like, kept going around in this circle. And me and Derek were, like, driving around the city trading people for cards. uh And, uh, yeah, it was just a disaster. So, like, right at the end, I'm like, screw it. Uh, I'm playing Marvel. I'm going to play Saltai Marvel. It's the Marvel I have the most experience with uh just because... I thought the Descended Mindbender might be okay. Um, I know my video's gone. I'll fix that as soon as I I get a break from talking. (laughs) Um, uh, And then so everyone was like kind of on the deck. And then right when we were buying the cards for the deck, we saw a deck list on uh, the moto results. that was like a team or energy deck similar to what Derek uh, was going to be running. But it was like four Bristling Hydra, four Glorybringer, four Elder Deepfiend uh, in the main. And we looked at it and we're like, okay, it looks interesting. Let's just, like, dry run test it against, like, whatever we brought to the event site with us. So we played maybe, like, four games. And the deck, the, the pilot was Mike Briarley, who actually did very well with the deck. <laughs> he went 8-2 in, in, uh, in the standard portion. Uh, he was piloting the, the rug uh, deck we played against me playing Saltai and then against uh, Black White Zombies. And it was, like, performing very well i was like okay cool like we can it, it looks like it has a good matchup against these two decks it gets to play like kind of a aggro mid-range game with like some tricky elements to it um and it has counter spells and it has like a bunch of artifact hate and we get to play Kozilex return with deep fiend which seems good against zombies so it's like this deck had like all the pieces it's just like whether or not those pieces came together in the game was going to be the question when mike was playing the deck all of the pieces were always available to him. <laughs> that was very clear. It was very clear when he piloted the deck at the PT as well, because he went on 5-0 on day one, uh, and then went 3-2 on day two. So he was just, like, ripping through everyone. Uh, so his hands were lit every time. And it's like, I came out of day one, I was like, this deck is terrible. <laughs> we should have played anything else but this stupid deck. Because I went 1-4. But, um, yeah, the deck has, like, very polarizing draws. It's either, like, very, very powerful uh and very hard to beat or like just doing absolutely nothing interesting and probably a draft deck uh could beat it unfortunately when we we're like did our 30 minutes of testing or whatever it was it had all of the god draws and i'm <laughs> like okay yeah, it seems great let's just let's just jam this we all kind of have the cards for it and uh derek kind of stayed in in a similar path but like a little bit different build i think he's going to come on later He could talk about uh the choices he made there but um Overall, like I guess I'm medium happy with the deck we we picked. Like our team was above fifty percent wins in constructed, so it obviously wasn't like a terrible choice. It seemed like it was a terrible choice for me because I would have had like any reasonable record, I would have been in contention for top eight. But <laughs> whatever. <laughs> so, so you were you were doing fi- that final bit of testing?
0: When did you say that was really last minute with Briley? Was this on the Thursday? This is like seven p.m.
1: Thursday night. Yeah.
0: 7 p.m. Thursday so night. Lo- we
1: locked the deck list down at 10.30 at p.m. 10.30 p.m. we locked it down. <laughs> with, with sideboarding notes. Because we had like an 18 card sideboard to start. And then we figured like, okay, yeah, we only need one release. We only need one Manglehorn. Uh, we don't want to play Chandra 6. And then I think those are, the, yeah, those are the three cuts that we ended up making. So you really
0: hated the, some of the established decks that you were bringing because to me, you're someone that would bring... A well, 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 like your GP style has shown that you just bring in, you have like a sweet tuned sideboard and you just crush everyone. So you just weren't happy
1: with the established archetypes that you had. Yeah, for the GP, it's a little bit easier because like, you know, that people are just going to bring what's available for the most part. Like some people, like the very good pros, they'll be on the next level maybe. Right. But if you just bring like, just like plus a half level, that's usually good enough to do well at a gp right like you don't need to like full next level everyone like the team sometimes they do that and they crush it that that's fine right like when four color uh rights uh came out or four and a half color rights came out like that deck just like exploded onto the scene and it, it was like very good right but i was like just fine playing like ojitai and, and Kalidas or whatever right i felt like this is good against green white tokens it's good against green black uh aristocrats so, that like that, yeah, usually that's my mantra, right? Just like tune the sideboard and the main deck a little bit more to be good against like what's very good. And then just like, you know, try and, try and play decently throughout the event. <laughs> but yeah, for a PT, it's like a lot different, right? Like, usually the metagame shifts quite a bit. Um, it didn't really like move uh, at this PT, which is like not too surprising, I guess. But I didn't, I didn't like the way that the, the regular Rug Marvel deck played. And I'm not, like, lucky enough to just, like, flip Ulamugs off the top on turn four uh, every game. And, like, we didn't come to the conclusion that either of the two uh, successful Rug Marvel decks came to. Like, we didn't go to the control... We didn't, like, figure out the control version that, like, just cuts Servant of the Conduit and plays, like, uh, Glimmer of Genius, Sensor, and, like, Torrential Gear Hulk and whatever, right? Uh, we were, like, nowhere, nowhere close to that at all. Uh, <laughs> and then we also didn't figure out that, like, oh, you just, like, play Chandra six. Like, just was the four of. <laughs> <laughs> just, that's why you crush zombies or whatever. Like, yeah, we were, it was, like, just not on our radar at all. Um, and the the zombies deck felt good. Uh, I, I actually, like, tested it kind of a bunch, but I felt like there's just no way that we're going to come to this event and people aren't going to figure out, like, how to beat this, like, just mono-black aggro, like, one 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 two drop deck, right? So I felt like uh, even though we didn't have, like... Uh, an insane plane against it. It felt like, like, if you want to beat this deck, you can just beat it, right? So I thought that's where other people would be, and I felt like Mardu didn't beat anything. Like, it didn't beat zombies and it didn't beat, uh, Marvel and it was, like, not, just, I just, like, couldn't in good conscience, like, play it and just hope to, like, run real hot or whatever, right? So, um, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was just, like, it was just weird. We tried a bunch of, like, weird Mardu variants that, like, was able to play blue, was able to play, like, um, uh the spirit that uh, can counter a four-drop or whatever. I forget what it's called. Okay. Uh the three drop. It used to be really good. It's like your favorite card, KWT.
2: Spell Queller. Spell Queller.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so like we tried a bunch of decks that could like jam that and jam like Metallic Rebuke and jam like uh spell shrivel and, and whatever. And just like ended up all being garbage. <laughs> it's just like all garbage. <laughs> so yeah, it it was it was very weird uh testing. So this deck just looked like I don't know. It's got the tools. You get to play the gate. You get to play Kozilek's Return. You get to play Release the Gremlins and Manglehorn. Like, all right. I mean, that's kind of like in essence the tools we were looking for. Hopefully, like the strategy that this deck's implementing is is strong enough. Um, it's kind of like just a little bit, little bit middling. Oh, I, I imagine since you just came back half an hour
0: ago, you didn't have time to watch PV's blog today, a video blog, and I'll I'll direct this topic because we're on it to have Brian answer PV talked about how he like mentioned what you sort like, he did what your team did. He finalized your 75 13 channel fireball ice at 10 PM. So you guys at 10 30 and his lesson, his takeaway from this PT and from his last two PT, he said was that they spent too much time trying to break it. And that there's too much information right now, especially with, MTGO, like the release going to MTGO faster, SCG opens, that he was better off tuning uh, an established archetype because information is just so fast available and, and technology advances so fast that he could just pick an MTGO deck, tune it, and he regretted not doing that because they ended up landing on a deck that they tuned from from Moto, but that he had to figure out how to sideboard. Like he sideboarded differently round one. And round two, he said, because he learned how not to sideboard from round one. So he regretted that. Brian, what do you think uh, about his thoughts there?
2: Uh, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, like, we're obviously at kind of a, a new stage in preparation for Pro Tours. And you know, I've fallen into Rob's trap before. And I, I'm actually not sure it's a trap because, like, you get paid a lot at the Pro Tour for playing the deck that people are unfamiliar with. Like it's a tremendous, tremendous edge because everyone has ground, you know, people played a hundred matchups against Mardu. They know exactly what their sideboard plan is and they wouldn't bring their deck unless they were confident they could beat Mardu. And these are good players. So when they say their deck beats Mardu, it actually does. It's not like the GP where someone shows up with whatever and they're like, I'm 94% against Mardu. We all know that's nonsense. And then you play Mardu and crush them over and over. And as they're packing up, they're complaining, "I, I win this matchup all the time against my friend. We've all heard that before um but these are real players who who can actually figure out if a matchup is favorable so you do get a huge amount of edge by having something unknown but it's so difficult to come up with something unknown at this point because magic online does such a good job sussing out the format like the closest thing was the new perspectives deck, and ever i knew about that going into the pro tour i'm sure every team knew about the new perspectives deck it, it wasn't anything really off the radar and even the deck that rob ultimately played I don't think I would have known like sideboard specifics, but I had seen versions similar to it floating around. I would probably know, you know, fifty-five of his main deck cards as soon as he made his first play. You know what I mean? And everyone else is in the same position. So, yeah, we things have changed a little bit. And I, I get what PV is saying. You are maybe, you know, I've always been out of the camp like do something people aren't prepared for. And at all of my pro tours, I have done that. Um, I've played a deck which is a little bit under the radar with the exception of one, which by the way is my best finish ever, where I just played literally the same deck that won the SCG the week before and I came within a, you know, an inch of top eight. So I I don't know. I I guess it's it's clear things are changing in the magic world as far as pro tour preparation. Um, you know, we've kind of come full circle where it was like the super teams had a huge edge for a while because they were able to get results that and, and play the number of games that no one else could and now with moto being in, in play earlier everyone's getting access to these results so uh yeah this is I, I mean was anyone really surprised by what happened at this pro tour i don't think so i, I think this is kind of what we expected uh, you could say little things zombie was a little zombies was a little better than everyone expected i think and a lot of that was play style i think like i was watching a lot of these zombies games and i was like oh that was an unintuitive play and very quickly it became obvious like jerry for instance against Marvel. You know, my first instinct, having never played a game of zombies, is like, oh, you better present your clock quickly. And I watched Jerry just draw card after card with Cryptbreaker and then realized, oh, wait, he's, his board state is eventually unassailable and Ulamog is actually irrelevant. And that's how you win the matchup. So they kind of, like, figured things out from a play perspective as opposed to a deck perspective, which was a neat little development to see happen. Um, but yeah, I, I think this Pro Tour was, was pretty chalk. Everything went about the way we expected. So.
0: Ah, uh, your, your quick thoughts, uh, Brian, uh, because Kai th- then uh, debate spurred from 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 that uh, tweet from PV and that video blog, and they sort of disagreed. Of if it was tougher, if, how it was different the pro tour from then to now. Uh, so I'm just gonna read what they said. Uh, Kai said like like the video, but when you started to play, information was a lot more accessible than it, than it is now. Actually, PTs had defined formats. PV goes, I don't agree with this. I remember back. Then I would often get paired versus decks I didn't even know existed. Now I know all of them. And Kai says, well, the big difference was that there were no new set releases. PTs were typically played in known formats. And PV's retort to that was, yeah, but I think formats nowadays get more known in two weeks than they did in two months back then. Whose side are you on for
2: that, Brian? PV's. PV's. Yeah, I I think the information is just flowing so much quicker and we reach maturity points so much faster. Uh, so much more data, so many more games, all of this stuff. I, I wasn't there. I think the era Kai is talking about is probably like 2000s era. My first pro tour was 2010 or 2011. So I, that, I can't really speak personally to that. But um, I, I think the acceleration of discoveries, I, I mean, how often do we see decks break out late in a format anymore? It's been a while. I mean, it, Rob mentioned the, the four color crypto, Cryptolith rights deck. That's the last time I could think of a deck kind of breaking out after everything had already been settled. Um, so, so, yeah, I'm on PV's side. I, I think things are just getting hashed out much more quickly than they were previously. Uh, I'm not sure where, where Kai's founding his arguments from. He might be the greatest of all time, but maybe not the greatest at Twitter arguments. <laughs> Whoa, <I'm> Shotspire. Rob, <laughs> do, you, do you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I, I think PV's point kind of makes sense, unfortunately. Uh, for Kai, I guess. But like I, I don't think his point makes no sense. He was probably just like better informed at that point, like that he's talking about that PV's trying to reference than P V was at that point, probably. So maybe we're like P V was felt like he was like not he was still seeing new things like all over the place. Maybe Kai like is like, yeah yeah we knew we knew about all this stuff, right? So um it, it's kind of uh it's kind of weird that way. Um my video just keeps dying. I don't know what's going on today.
2: So uh,
1: <laughs> anyways, yeah, I, I'm on PV side of the argument. Like you just see from the motor results, like the format just evolve so quickly and kind of get to like a steady state, like very quickly after the, the SCG, right? Um Sometimes there's some stuff that can change based on how that metagame ends up looking initially. And then someone can like, find a strategy to, like, push it in a different direction, but, like, that depends on how well the sets are designed from WotC, and sometimes all the power level leans in one direction, or they put cards that should never be in standard together in standard together, and they completely warp the metagame and, and make it so that people are unable <laughs> to push the metagame in different directions. The metagame just pulls at you to cast Ulmog on turn 4, regardless of what uh, you really want to be doing. Uh, so... Yeah, I don't know. It'll be it'll be over soon. mug will be gone and we'll all be able to have fun again. Just take another six months. <laughs> but uh so I, I just want to comment on one thing Brian said. So I agree that um our deck was not unknown and like there were versions of it floating around before, but like our team was able to get some pretty sweet ins on a few people that definitely won us some matches. So um there's one match, the, the guy, like, dis like he brings in Dispossess, because uh, I think he just died, or, like, we, we lost our deck lost game one. So he brings in a bunch of Dispossesses. Dispossesses on turn three, naming Marvel. Goes to the deck and is like, you cited out all the Marvels? And the, our, our teammate was just like, oh, uh, did I? I forget. And just, so the guy's just, like, looking through the deck some more. Like, uh, no, I don't see any in here. He's like, oh, yeah, maybe I did. I, I don't know. He's like, oh, okay. Here you go. And it's like, okay, and then like you know, game three, just like boom, slam that fifteen right back in, right? <laughs> Blow fifteen more cards. It's like, are you gonna risk taking those dispossesses out of your deck now, zombies player? <laughs> or are you gonna are you gonna leave them in and try and hope that I like sided those those <laughs> Ulamogs and marvels back in my deck? <laughs> so it, it depends when you play. Like, if they see channeler and they they're like well versed in what's going on, then that that throws uh, that that's kind of the red flag. But if they just see like servants and attunes and like uh are of Virtuoso and, and, and Rogue Refiner, then usually they're they're just like waiting for this Marvel. I I got a Salt player pretty hard um in the very last like in round sixteen as well. He was like he slowed down his game plan so that he would like be able to uh like play after I tried to Marvel first. Um because I was gonna I had six energy when he didn't. So he was like he was doing something different uh and slowing down his Marvel plan to try and like deal with what I, I what could have come up off the top of my deck if I had Marvel. But like I just I d I didn't. I just played a Gorybringer or whatever. <laughs> and then he then he just like you know slammed uh Marvel and and, and flipped Ulamug obviously so fun format. It was pretty sweet. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um okay I am just gonna bring in our good buddy here, uh, misplaced ginger. Um Derek Pite, misplaced ginger trophy MTGO Trophy Master Chris Picula's godson. We got him in the house. How's it going? Uh, it's, it's going all right. It's going all right. It could be better, you know? All right. So I, I heard that you were playing a slightly different list than the rest of your team. Like, t- uh, break it down. Like, what was your perspective of the testing? And why did you play something slightly different?
3: Uh, so we started out uh, building a deck, me and Rob, to beat Zombies. Realized we couldn't beat Mardu and didn't have a great matchup against Marvel. So, I think we just started designing decks to beat, like, one of the three decks. Realized the other two decks were, like, were a dog against. So, I'm like, "Uh, I hate this. I really like Four-Color Sahili. so why don't I just build a Four-Color Saheeli that does a combo? Just like a a value teamer deck. And I was like, "Uh, if you're going to do that, like, you might as well just play Aetherworks Marvel, right? And you get all the value that you would get before. Uh, plus you get, like, a better bomb sort of thing, right? And I'm like, but I don't want to play, like, a numbers game. Like, I miss some amount of the time, or my deck just does nothing, and I lose. Or you play against Mardu they're on the play. You, like, don't hit your puzzle knot. You don't start at 26 or whatever, right? Um, so I, I went to, like, a mid-range teamer deck with, like, Rogue Finders, World of Virtuosos. I started finding the deck didn't have a high damage output, not as high as I wanted it to be. And the grind wasn't good against, wasn't as good as the Marvel decks when they did hit Marvel, because they just had the same package. Uh, it just wasn't as good. Like, I had Glorybringers, uh, but like Glorybringer isn't very good when you don't have a, a license integration in your deck. Um, so I had, I had Three Mananissa for the World of Virtuals and Heart of Kieran originally. Uh, we started discussing it more and realized that Heart of Kieran is probably too niche. And I played long Longtusk Cub. Um, and so it was basically just like Teamer Energy. Uh, it's like four Virtuosos, four robot Finders, four Platoons, four Cubs. Three, three Minanissa, three Chandra, three Glorybringer,
1: uh, and then 21 Lands. And I'm probably forgetting some other cards. Yeah, like some negates the main deck, right? Like Harness Lighting whatever.
3: Yeah, I, I had, I had two, two Negates main deck to try to get cute to beat uh, Marvel but that didn't work out too well. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. yeah, so Derek was like a slower uh, red-green energy deck that was playing blue for some uh, more interaction. Mm-hmm. But I think both the planes were not, not great. We we yeah, did have a great deck name though. Our deck name was much better than Derek's deck Derek was just Teamer Energy. Ours was Teamer Dragons. We had Bristling Dragon. We had Corybringer, which is the red dragon, and we had the Elder Deep Dragon, which was our blue dragon. So <laughs> uh, we definitely won on that front. <laughs> so, uh, Rob, like,
0: was it just Derek alone, the rogue one, or uh, what was the um,
1: team composition of the of of who picked? Oh, who picked? One? One? Yeah. So it was a. Uh, so the people that were, like, kind of, like, actually actively testing together were, like, me, Derek, Sammy, uh, Viddy, uh, Blondin, and Riley. Riley, yeah. Um, and then, like, once we kind of, like, Derek and I were, like, very close to playing, like, this Blue-White or Esper Spirits, or possibly, like, an Esper Mardu type deck. Um, and then it, like, actually just couldn't beat regular Mardu. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, like, driving around (laughs) <laughs> we like got all the cards for it and then I was like oh wait it seems like it should be it's really gonna get Marvel but like can it even beat Mardu? It's like oh no it can't beat Mardu oh what have we done? So that's when like we got on this uh, either Marvel or Teamer plan and then once we were going in that direction Derek was just like I'm, I'm I've been like testing this other stupid Teamer deck for a while now for like a couple days I guess so I'm just gonna like tune it a little bit and just stay on this train cause like whatever you can explain it but like you understood what your game plan was in that deck better than like just picking up mm-hmm. a Random 60 or whatever, right?
3: Mm-hmm. Like, I, I can't, as you can tell, I like to play one deck and one deck only and get really good at it and make sure that I understand uh, every single game line, every single gameplay, uh, how the games go, like how to sideboard, like, what cards I should be using, right? Like, that's just what I did with Sequili. Uh, I just put in like an uncountable amount of time to make sure that I knew what was going on at all times. Uh, and when they found this deck, it had Elder Deep Fiend in it, and Elder Deep Fiend is a very hard card to play correctly because you have to set up turns in advance. You have to uh, like assume that your opponent's gonna kill your creatures so that you can't just like deep fiend them out all the games. And then like even when you deep fiend them out, you have to play around harness lightnings and marvel activations. And I just didn't want to pick up a deck and walk in a couple hours before an event. I felt much more comfortable just playing my probably worst teamer deck just because I was more happy with playing it.
0: <laughs> it was probably better for you, like the way you explained it. Um, before, what, one big thing I want uh, you guys to chime, on, chime in on, like the whole nation was psyched because you guys had such a hot start. You killed it in draft. Uh, was it just running good, or did you think that your team or you and Rob discovered something in draft that uh, – other people can take away for, for their FNM or for their next GP or, or I don't think there's a limit of GP left, but
3: for, for any big event that they have left. Uh, well, I think, uh, first of all, in order to three, 0 draft, you have to get lucky. And that's just like, you just have to realize that my deck was probably a two, one deck. Um, I would have expected it to two one the fact that I three, one means that I got a little lucky. Like I didn't have any bomb rares, Um, I probably outplayed my opponents a couple times, but I also didn't have any like plat pros in my draft. I had uh, like Mark Jacobson and Ricky Chin. Uh, He Ricky Chin sat to my left, and I just probably got lucky and sat in the right seat, opened a good red green deck, identified where I was sitting, and that's it.
1: Like I don't know. Yeah, I think uh, I, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like our grasp on the limited format was very well understood. We we, we definitely talked about it a lot. Like, uh, we went through all the card evaluations. Like, I mean, I, I went through them kind of three times. I went through them with Vince once, then me and Vince went through them again, and then I went through them again with Sammy. <laughs> so we had a. I, I mean, I definitely had a really good idea. And like, uh, like whoever else was listening could could pick up on what's going on, right? So um, I think we knew like what archetypes you wanted to be in and what ones you wanted to avoid, if possible, right? Like, I didn't really want to play blue-white if I could avoid it. And, like, the stuff I was looking to play was, like, a deck with red, mostly, right? And I only wanted to be in blue-red spells if it was, like, real open. Um, And the black-red deck I was looking for was, like, a black-red control deck that was cycling, had wandering deaths, it was, like, value and not, like, this black-red aggro deck that, like, people think it exists and like peop people play that against me and it's just like bad, right? Like casting miasmic money on turn two and like following it up with like a three two lizard and it's like, yeah, it, cool, man. <laughs> like <laughs> <clears throat> kill that, ignore that, and, <laughs> and and now everything in my deck's larger than yours. So um but but I, in general I, I, I agree with Derek. Like I think you need to be a little bit lucky. You need to be you need to notice what's going on too. Like you don't want to be in the wrong color pair, right? So um my first draft deck was uh i would say extra medium <laughs> it was like no- nothing special like i just had like a bunch of middling rares like Serpapard, mouth to feed uh the surprise all star was gideon's intervention uh when i played like the other undefeated deck um the guy just like rolled me in game 1 it was just like 1-1 haster into like 2-1 guy with exert slam for 3 into 2-1 guy with exert slam for 3 into the four three Minotaur slam for five, and then an additional three with the the guy's not exerted anymore. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, cool. Like I was just playing like a two two into a three two into whatever, and I was like, okay, I'm dead. Um, the next game, like his hand like wasn't as explosive, and I was able to like stall him a bit, and like I put up some blockers so that he like you know, just couldn't run me over. And I just drew Giddings' intervention. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to name the Minotaur. I, I, I saw two of them, and he just like he had one in play, and he had three in hand. <laughs> so I just, like, 4 for one dim him with this, like, s- super underwhelming rare. <laughs> and he just, like, every turn, he'd, like, draw, he'd play a land, he'd draw, he'd play a land, and, like, every once in a while, he'd, like, read Gideon's intervention, and I was like, did he draw another Minotaur? Like, how many does he have? <laughs> so, yeah, I-, I, just, uh, I just smashed him, and then he kept kind of, like, a week seven in game three, and I- my hand was, like, uh, I just kind of, like, curved out straight to the 6-7 Hexproof and rolled in, but yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like a good limited preparation is definitely key to doing well at a PT draft. Um, but yeah, you do need to get a little lucky. I mean, someone passed me Archfiend of Ifnir. Oh, come on. <laughs> uh, you gotta... pick, pick two, pack one <laughs> in the second draft, but whatever. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave you with one before we let you go,
0: Derek. One last question. You're coming to GP Montreal, right? What yeah. uh, What are you going to play based on what you learned and what you saw top eight, what you expect, which is a bunch of zombies probably. What's your take? Um, well, it's
3: probably not zombies. Uh, I really, like, I heard a couple people say at the event, I don't know how you would ever go to a PT or a GP with a deck that just loses to one or two cards. And I don't think Zombies is as resilient as people think against Fumigate or even Descend Upon the Simphill, which doesn't seem to be in the format right now, which if people think Zombies is going to show up, Descend is going to show up, right? You might get random Kalidas every once in a while in like a Mardu deck or even in the Mirror, right? Um, So probably not that. Maybe Etherworks Marble, if I can get the cards together, but I don't have a huge card pool right now on paper um it might be mardu if rob can give me like the tech on the mardu decks because he seems to always know what's going on and i have no idea uh but if i can find a good list maybe tomorrow or wednesday on jam it up to friday like maybe i'll find something but right now it's probably just going to be mardu or marvel they seem to give the best results for least amount of work or least amount of good work, I guess. Like I don't have the next, next level sort of thing. So yeah, that's where I'm at.
0: All right. Sounds good. All right. Thank, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks Derek for Pite, having me. And thanks for supporting the cast as always. And uh, I'll see you in Montreal. Weekend. Sounds good. All righty. That was Derek Pite, super MTGO trophy guy with us. Uh, <laughs> Healy. Guardian, when it was still legal. Uh, Brian, how, how much of the coverage did you uh, get to watch?
2: A uh, fair amount. I wasn't, like, glued inseparably to the coverage, at least until the top eight, once uh, Jerry was in position to do well. Then I got really invested. Um, but, yeah, I, a good amount. Definitely over 50%, for sure. Uh, one, one quick thing before I ask you
0: some specific limited stuff, uh, I mean, uh, stream stuff. One of the, it's always interesting to see uh, the Twitch chat. Like, when I was watching it, it wasn't as toxic as uh, it has been in the past, I guess. Like, it it was some pretty good uh, stuff. I I think I I just jumped in at the right time. Yeah, you you got lucky, bro. You you got real lucky. (laughs) What Calcano came on to do is draft tech. uh, It was interesting to see. Because we had talked about on the show, I think uh, me, Rob, and maybe Vince—I don't know if it was you, Brian—when we felt Nissa wasn't like a super bomb, and in Calcano's pack, when pick one, they had this decision where he took Fanbearer over Nissa, over Edifice of Authority, over uh, the other cards were okayish, um, and and of course the chat went nuts. Like, and then the Nissa was going around because I think uh, you got to see. Someone, draft, someone was drafting next to Calcano that was featured uh, for, for the duration of the draft. And then you saw the Nissa go by, and I, it went all the way to Gerard Fabiano, who probably got it fourth, maybe even. And the chat was making a big deal, but you could see yourself picking
2: Fanber over Nissa, right? Because. Yeah, I, okay. I actually don't think that's even that close. Nissa's yeah. like not that good. I mean, shockingly, Twitch chat doesn't know a whole lot. Who would have thought? But, uh, Yeah, that's just gonna happen. You're not. There's a reason they're on Twitch chat and not at the Pro Tour, right? (laughs) It's just
3: interesting, just
0: like the 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 way they say it. Just like, oh man, this guy must not be a good draft. I mean, this guy's a VP veteran, like so much Pro Tour experience. Like, come on, Rob. Uh, he picked Fanbear over Edifice. He did. He did because he likes white, I guess, white-red. Like he, he was really forcing uh, that archetype. One yeah, drop in this goes
1: into white-red decks, I don't know. <laughs> it's colorless. <laughs> it also goes into other colored decks, too. But anyways, that's interesting to me. I would uh, never make that pick in my life, but that's, that's good to know <laughs> that people will do that. Uh, if I sit beside Kalkano and I see a fanbearer, I'll know he is definitely not in white. Since He <laughs> takes it over cards. I value very, very highly. Interesting, very, very interesting. Although, I, I guess I never thought I'd be past Archfiend of near either. So, <laughs> the first time for everything uh, is very good, it's also a very good first pick. It's colorless, I don't know if you guys know that out there. Edifice <laughs> is colorless. And it deals with the best card on the battlefield at all times, uh, unless that is a scaled behemoth. But, anyways, yeah, go, go, go ahead, continue.
0: <laughs> so, Brian, you, you were talking about oh, you're tweeting still miking the players' coverage, hates learning lessons. Really getting paid on those table mics. Uh, did you enjoy the stream overall? And, and what did you think of it?
2: Yeah, I mean, overall, I enjoyed it. I, I, I love magic. I'm always going like, to enjoy watching, especially when people I'm emotionally invested in have you know, huge results. But uh, I, I just think there's like some really small mistakes. I mean, there's big mistakes too. But the, the really small ones that are so easily addressable, that I just don't understand why they keep repeating them. There's literally no reason to have players mic'd. Star City doesn't mic like players. All it does is like make players look bad, make judges look bad, make the game look bad. And it, it's not adding any insight or, I don't know, I, I don't feel any loss when the players are not mic'd. Someone was messaging me and saying they enjoyed like listening to some of the more vocal players as they played. I guess if that's your thing, I, there's a few people out there who are enjoying having the tables mic'd, but on the whole, it just leads to really bad situations and you don't have time to react to those situation as productions, as, as the production team. Like you think about the combat situation we had at the last pro tour, there, there was no way you were able to cut away. Like that controversy started at the moment of inception, Uh, immediately there was something to be contested and something that could have been looked back on. So I'd, I'd rather just not hear what's going on at the tables. And I think it makes commentary's job clearer like it's their job to do the narration, not the players who are playing. And maybe that's what this is actually speaking to. Maybe people enjoy the kind of vocality of players who are, who are more expressive because the commentary at the Pro Tour is lacking. Whereas when someone like Cedric does commentary, he's very conscious about maintaining the flow of play and, and, and actually doing the job of a play-by-play caster. Whereas that's not something that the Pro Tour team focuses on as much. Um, so yeah, that's just like, that's my pet peeve. Now I, I want these table mics to be gone. And I want people to realize, uh, like, it's something that I never made the connection that, oh, SCG doesn't like the table, and the Pro Tour does, until there was controversy. So I feel like it's something that is kind of outside of people's consciousness, and I think maybe by tweeting about it a little bit more and discussing it, a little bit more people will be aware that, oh, yeah, this is something different that they do, and is this actually worth it? Because I think it's a negative look overall, much like the intensely uh, misogynistic Twitch chat that always exists anytime a female caster or uh, player there weren't any female players I believe at this Pro Tour which is a problem in and of itself but anytime a female caster appears on the screen, Twitch chat immediately devolves into the worst cesspool of humanity you've ever seen in your life Um, so that's another thing that I wish Wizards was more proactive about managing but yeah, overall I I did enjoy the Pro Tour I don't want to make it sound like uh, it was all, you know, thunderclouds and doom and gloom. But there's a few little things that need to be cleaned up.
0: Uh, there was just so many things that I wanted to, to cover on this cast that I, I completely forgot. I have to now emphasize that me and you especially are super, super happy that Jerry Thompson won the Pro Tour, is a Pro Tour champion. Um, like a couple of years, when I already thought, he, when he was already my favorite player, he was nowhere close to having a uh, Hall of Fame resume. Not even close. But this is a great step, and I, and I hope it continues because I hope to see him there for his contributions to the game. Um, he just puts a lot of free time of helping other people, and he really put my sight on the spot when um, out there when he actually wrote about me really early on, like five years ago. He would just name drop me, and, and stuff like that really helped a lot. And jumping on my shows, on my podcast with – using his free time to do that. So he's just one of the good guys. Like I'm so one of the few guys where like, I genuinely feel super awesome. Uh, when, when they do well, it's not like, Oh, this is a go. This like, I I was emotional about this. And, uh, Brian, you were, you were ecstatic, right?
2: Uh, yeah. Static's the right word for it. It was just like, When when I was, I mean, I'm kind of still nobody, but when I was stone nobody, like I was just a guy who had, you know, played a pro tour and had like a GP top 16, Jerry actually sought me out. And I guess like, you know, people had talked to him and said, you know, I was someone worth talking to, sought me out. And he was the first, I guess I would term pro to make me feel like I belonged. He took all of my input seriously. We collaborated from the start and you know, I, I don't want to make it sound, we're not like best friends. There's some events we go to, we don't even see each other. But when we do take the time to talk to each other, we always have really great conversation. When we collaborate over the internet, you know, our process is immediately really good. We just, we, we think about the game in the same way. And to see s- someone that I've had such personal investment in succeed at the highest level, it's just like, I mean, it means the world. And, and then Calcano as well, like Calcano is someone who I've just been at a million, living in the Northeast, I've been at a million events with him for years and years. You know, he's been to cookouts at my parents' house. Like, we just have known each other for years and years, and and he's succeeded at the highest level. It was a very emotionally resonant pro tour for me. It had a lot more impact in terms of how excited I was at the results. And then, obviously, we also had day one. The nation was doing really good. Everyone was super excited about that. You know, the Facebook group was kind of on fire getting hyped. Day two didn't go that well, unfortunately, but day one, we were, we were primed. Like there was a lot of good storylines throughout the pro tour. And, and, you know, having that personal level investment is always what's going to be, what sells it for me. Like it's hard for me to get super into a pro tour top eight. If my friends aren't there, that's, that's what I care about. I I don't know if that makes me a bad spectator. If I'm just, you know, just there to see my friends succeed. Maybe it does, but still that's what I get really hyped about. And, dude, I was, I was so into the top eight, like, watching every second. Actually, I had a friend who had to stop by my house during the top eight, and I just, like, ignored him. Like, he was there <laughs> dropping something off. And I'm like, dude, I'm really into this right now. You just got to go away. Wow. I don't to tell you. Uh, so, yeah, it was a sweet pro tour for that reason, for sure.
0: Rob, Rob, if only you had a good
1: standard deck. Uh, we, we were we were cheering. We were cheering. You just you, you had off. good standard matchups. I, I mean, like, the, the, the deck isn't as bad as I... I make it out to be, it's like, um, like if you look at our conversion rate, um, only Blondin didn't make day two. So like we converted 83%, which was like very, very high, uh, conversion rate into day two. And like our overall record is over 50%. So it's like perform better than Mardu. I I think, uh, according to Carson's article. So like, yeah, we didn't play zombies and yeah, we didn't play Marvel, but (laughs) it was okay. I mean, like if Briarly had my limited, seats or like i had his standard matchups like one of us would be in 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 top eight right like he ate two uh constructed I, i five one limited um my my just like i was not doing interesting things on day one with the deck like the first game of standard the first round of standard i played against a teamer uh denival tower deck and i just drew like bristling hydra after bristling hydra and i just rolled him I was like, oh, okay, maybe this deck's pretty good. It's got some legs, right? This <laughs> thing Hydra seems pretty good. And then I played like two Marvel decks and, and two zombie decks to like round out the day. And like, I didn't cast a Deep Fiend in any of those games. And I didn't draw a Kozalek's Return against zombies at all. And it was just like very underwhelming, right? And Briarly's like, what? Are you crazy? You just, I played zombies, you just, you can't return them and you deep fiend them and it's over. <laughs> I was like, yeah, but, uh, you know, I just don't like get to play those cards, so this deck sucks. <laughs> 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 he was kinda drawing of at the right time. In day two I had much better uh results. I think I went uh four no, I went three two, I think, in standard uh on, on day two. And like the the two matchups I lost were like real, real close. So um it, it could have kind of gone either way. Um but yeah, I don't know. It's like definitely not as good as it was for Briley, but it's not as bad as it was for me. It's probably like a 6-4 deck. That's what it should be. Brian, to
0: finish up on, on Jerry T a bit, uh, it was, I was watching the coverage. It was interesting. I love these stories where, I mean, I used to put pros on a pedestal because you know they're just way better. It just seems like on stream they they never make a mistake. And I guess Ken Yukihiro in uh, top four. Jerry, um, I assume, like I haven't uh, asked him, I assume it was a big misplay where he tries to grasp of darkness, um, a winding constrictor that was a four or five, and then just puts it in the bin and subsequently loses the match. Uh, and this is like a basically a pretty damn big misplay that he does on stream but he's able to not let that affect him at all and goes on to win the whole thing. I think that's pretty, that's pretty cool to me.
2: Yeah. I mean, look, we all make a million misplays every single time we play magic. That's just what magic's about. If you don't know you're making misplays, then you're not good enough to realize that you're making misplays. That's, that's really the truth. Now, this was a very blatant one. I've done it. I sometimes you just brain fart. I, I, I rarely tell this story, but I do tell it because you know, I, like I said, you learn from your mistakes and we all make them. My first ever pro tour, I had old Liliana in play. I uh, used its ability to search up a card and put it on top of your library, and I put a lethal corrupt on top of my library. At that point, I realized, oh, I'm under pressure from my opponent, and I used my elixir of immortality, shuffled my <laughs> library, and got rid of the corrupt, and then I lost the game and didn't make day two in my first pro tour. Um, so, so <laughs> like, you just do dumb things sometimes. I can't tell you why. You know, the, the Pro Tour is super stressful. If, if you've ever played feature matches at the Pro Tour, it you fall into a rhythm and you get comfortable. And Jerry's played a lot of them, and I'm sure he's comfortable. But it, it can be overwhelming. And especially after just playing Magic for into the third day straight at the highest level, at the highest stakes, you just wear down sometimes, man. And everyone makes mistakes. Um, he just brain farted, and I think he said as much. And it was weird to see. And you know, I was just like, "Oh, it was it was." I actually think he was losing the game regardless. It really, like, it probably didn't matter overall. And I think that helps you recover when you're not like sitting there debating. You know, did I just throw it away? Oh, right, right. Um, but you're right. Things went differently. You know, who knows if that's something that would have haunted him? Because I know the the pro tour I missed top eight. Three, three winning ins I lost. I replay all three of those matches in my head. anytime time I think about Magic, the first thing I start doing. Oh make, no! Oh no! I'll, I'll be there forever, and I, I don't know if I have a, like a blatant misplay, but forever I will think about. Was there something else I could have done? So I'm, I'm really happy things worked out, and Jerry wasn't forced to sit there thinking, "Oh my God, if I had just grasped the other creature, done anything else, would I be a pro tour champion right now?" Thankfully, we don't have to go down that road. So.
0: Yeah, I could have killed the rich car that was a 4 4, but yeah. you're right. Like he, he uh, you could hear all untapped when Bone Picker, Bone Picker, Green Belt. Yeah, how's he
2: winning that game anyway?
0: Yeah. How's he winning that game? Um, Rob has praised you. I haven't asked your opinion as someone that's really, you know, of course, someone that self <laughs> says that he doesn't play tests all that much, but Rob praised you for being a great, you know, theorist. What were you impressed by? Were you impressed by your Heroes deck, like the only four bone pickers in the room? What would you bring if you were coming to Montreal, if you didn't have, I think a wedding or a bachelor's party to attend?
2: Yeah, I'm going to a bachelor party, so I won't be able to come. Um, what would I bring? I think that's a really hard question. I still, in my heart, believe there is a place for control in this format. Like the pieces are all there. The, we know what we have to answer. And it's funny because Marvel decks actually played the role of control decks. Like they shifted really well, and maybe Marvel's just too powerful, and there's no place for control. And it's kind of like you know trying to play control without cat combo in the old format. Like you're just doing yourself a disservice, and there's really no purpose behind it. I I, I don't know. I was incredibly impressed by the zombies deck. Incredibly impressed. It's it's not just a linear aggro deck. It does things that aggro decks are not supposed to be able to do. Um, it has game plans that i did not expect it i i was i was floored I, it really was not the deck i expected it to be um just having read the deck list and it became very apparent to me why so many of the top teams ended up on this deck it's it's a special deck um that being said i do think it has weaknesses i think it was a special pro tour deck i don't think it's what i would want to play in montreal it, it does seem a little soft to fumigate Obviously, damage-based removal has some problems against the deck. It can establish a board presence where uh, damage-based removal is no longer good. But something like Fumigate seems really strong. I, still in my heart, I believe that Mardu has the sideboard cards to answer these decks. I don't know what they are yet. I, I know I don't want stuff like Dispossess or Lost Legacy, which those cards are terrible, and you can't play them. It's not going to fix your problems. And, you know, maybe the blues. The blue cards aren't good enough. I, I don't know. Ceremonious rejection seems like it should be able to get the job done. I, I would mess around with Mardu if I was going to this tournament. I would spend a lot of time. Um, how, how many just magma getting sprays might there. be
0: in your 75?
2: Yeah, I would have magma spray somewhere. I don't know if I would have it main. It's it's just like, but having access to like three magma sprays and two fumigates post-board seems like you're gonna get some edge against the zombies decks and you can have the planeswalker packages and things like that. Um, yeah, that that seems like the solvable matchup to me. The one that I don't know if it's solvable is Marvel. It could be Marvel's that just that far ahead of the format, and you really can't, you know, get the right answers in the Mardu shell. Uh, I would have to play. I would have to break my usual stance and play a few games to uh, really get down <laughs> to to brass tacks without playing a
0: few games. That's breaking your
1: stance. I love it.
0: <laughs> yeah, Rob, what do you think of uh, what Brian just said? His analysis here.
1: Yeah. I think it's uh I think it's correct. Like I I have some ideas for uh what I'm gonna do with Mardu, now that I've seen really what the metagame is or what the metagame is gonna be for the GP, anyways. I'm gonna keep it under wraps because it's pretty spicy, but it'll be in the nation <laughs> for anyone that wants to follow along and see if it's a if it's good or garbage. Um, as far as a a control deck in the format, I think the problem, and I, I tried to build a bunch. Um and, and I had uh, very good success building uh various blue-red, blue-black control decks that could beat both zombies and um and Marvel uh with like reasonable numbers, but like it just like could not beat Mardu. Uh, it was like very hard to get something that was like still good against all three of those decks. Mardu's just like so diverse in its uh in the threats it presents, with like scrap heap scratcher being recursive. You, like, not really being able to have a great Gearhulk plan against them because they have unlicensed disintegration for you. And then they just have, like, there's a boatload of Planeswalkers and, like, uh, just, like, over or under-costed, like, overly aggressive threats, right? And then, you know, they can board into, like, instant speed stuff. Like, Avacyn, it just gets, like, annoying, and they have access to, like, all kinds of random uh, goodies like Anguish I'm making and Cast Out. So I found it was, like, very difficult to beat Mardu. And actually playing Mardu when I was testing it, I was, like, very happy every time someone was playing some Gearhulk deck. I was like, oh, yeah, sweet. So all my unlicensed disintegrations are still live. Like, I'm, I don't see how I can lose this game. You, like, you, you get to like pay six mana to hardest lighting one of my guys, and, and you take three damage. This seems like a great, great deal for me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I don't know. Brian, if you think of something, though, I, I'm interested.
2: <laughs> yeah I'll, i think you just well, saw the it. stand up my thinking about it so if, if that's useful to you that's that's probably pretty that, good that's where you're at yeah I, right. I i honestly have been playing a little bit more magic but i've just been drafting i really like the draft format so i i haven't felt any real with no tournaments coming up i don't have any real compulsion to move towards standard right now
1: yep yeah i i feel that every once in a while that's why i haven't been playing uh any modern at all mm-hmm. <laughs> i just like the format quite a bit
2: yep
0: Alrighty, But uh, Rob, you won't be able to come in Montreal after all, I guess? No, no, I am coming in, one, oh, I'm coming in Montreal. Yeah, yeah. Me and Derek are coming up together. Wait, what happened? You said you
1: couldn't you couldn't make it before? You couldn't count it? Was that for? Oh, I had a wedding to go to, uh, but the wedding is for a magic playing buddy of mine. And uh, he said it was okay to skip because I need to hit silver. So <laughs> 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 oh. I'm like not in the wedding party or anything. I was just going to be like an attendee. This was okay. like I understand if you need to go to Montreal uh, to try and grant grind a couple more points. I was like, oh, excellent. Well then, thank you. I will be going to Montreal, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, I picked up an extra point at the PT. Uh, I got four instead of three. I'm going nine seven. I, I tried very hard to go ten six and pick up two, which would have been a little nicer. But now I'm four points away from hitting silver. So um, if I have any reasonable finish at Montreal, then that leaves me with. Uh, like Cleveland and Toronto and PT Kyoto to pick up like the last hopefully one or two points, I guess. Uh hopefully I can eke out like an eleven four or twelve three at Montreal. That'd be uh that would be sweet. I have a good record at Canadian GPs, so hopefully I can defend uh well enough. We'll see.
0: Okay. Um we had some some chat going on when uh, Brian was talking about like being invested in, in, in friends. And some people think that in the chat pro teams might change that. And I had a conversation with a friend. I wonder what you guys thought was that because magic has so much, unlike because it has so much variance, it's hard for the stars that I truly care about to really make it to be in that situation all the time uh, compared to, let's say the UFC where they're really building, Uh, the contenders and they can they can spend a lot of money promoting because there's just sort of this revolving door usually with some exceptions because some people are some percentage of players are going to run really hot for a while it's tough to see some like the very best uh cheering them on at at the very end especially like someone like let's say Owen, who's considered by some to be the very best player in the world. I mean, he, he didn't make top eight again. Um, so to me, I have to get lucky and hope. And maybe the team thing changes that because then there's more players so I can cheer for a whole team. What do you think, Brian? What do you think?
2: Oh. Uh, this seems like a good theory to me. I, I think there's a lot of of space to kind of expand rooting interests. I mean, we've we've seen that star city did a very nice job of, of building up its people um it did that through careful usage of buys and making sure that the right faces were in the right places i do think that teams could be a mitigating factor to the variance inherent in high-level magic but honestly I, I think you have to build pro toys need to be at the all-star game. Like you need to build your personalities at the GP level. And they do that with the buy system to some extent. Like that's kind of how you try and get the same people at the same GPs, but maybe they need to be, maybe the buy rewards need to be more limited, but greater. Like maybe there should be only platinum pros get buys, but they get four. Like that's kind of, that sounds crazy. I don't know if that's the right answer, but a way to get faces in the right places more often. Um, Because Star City has the um, luxury of having a really big skill gap. Like, their faces are so much better than the average player on the Star City Games Tour that those people will naturally rise to the top. Um, That's not going to happen as much when it comes to pro-level events. So there is a bit of a problem there. Um, Yeah, I I don't feel the investment in the team series yet. I, I don't care about any teams. But maybe in the future it'll get there. I don't know. Rob, what's been your engagement with the team series? Do you have a favorite team yet?
1: No, like, (laughs) I'm not, both not on a team. (laughs) Both don't really care about the team series altogether. I mean, I think it's, um, in general, like, good for the players who are able to get on a team this season. Like, I think it worked out uh, better for them financially or whatever, or from a visibility perspective, or they're able to, like, uh, maybe, like, uh, I don't know, get get success from their teammates' success, even if they're kind of, like, not doing as well. Um, but it, it's just, I don't know, like, there's no reason to be excited for a team unless you, like, personally know the team. I, I feel like that's kind of where we're at right now. Because, like, the tournament structure of Magic is, like, very, like, golf, where, like, you can just go to your events or whatever. There's a bunch of them going around. You have opens, you have closed, and, like, you play as an individual, right, for the most part. But then, like you have these, like golf doesn't have. I don't think, anyways. I don't watch a lot of golf, but I don't think golf has these like teams where like people are also like kind of grouped together, even though they're like playing in individual events at like kind of random times and places.
2: They have some events like that.
1: Okay, yeah, but I mean, like as a a season or whatever, right? Like over over the year, like where it matters. Mm. So maybe like if you want to have teams matter, then you want to have kind of like a very regular schedule, right? It was like every two weeks there's like battles between teams like you would in football or something. Cause then maybe there's like more of a rooting thing. And then maybe there's more of a a, kind of like a gambling aspect can like be applied to that where people can get a little more excited and, and, you know, I don't know, engage at at a level that they feel is appropriate for them. But it's, it's just kind of weird. Like, I I don't know. I I feel like I'm never going to be in that bubble. So it's not really going to matter for me too much, but yeah, I don't think that, uh, you know, they're going to be selling CFB ice jerseys or whatever. As the next GP that people are just going to be clamoring to buy or <laughs> you know what I mean, like, I don't think we're there yet. So we'll see. <laughs> I feel like that's where we would need to be though.
2: Yeah, um, It's difficult to engage on that level at this point. You're right. That more visibility for the team, seeing them more often, having the teams matter more than four times a year, maybe after the actual team event where we decide the team champion, there'll be some more engagement, but I, I still think you're right that they're a little bit too out of the focus right now.
1: Yeah, I, I, it's like, it's fine for them to start slow, I think, like this, right? They're kind of like testing the waters. I think it's going to take a couple of years for them to kind of figure it out, but um, this is a, at least a step in the right direction, so I'll, I'll give Wizards uh, that. <laughs> Speaking
0: of uh, teams, I love this, I love this. this. This coincidence. They were, they featured a team. They featured a team at this Pro Tour, and uh, we got this guy, we got the face of the franchise, of Lingering Souls back on the cast. I just muted you, Shaheen, so uh, hopefully you know how to unmute so that you can get in the chat here. But uh, Lingering right. Souls, so you were featured. I don't know if you saw the video of uh, of your team. All
4: right. Well, yeah, the video is great, and um, obviously people had a lot of fun with my uh, phone interview where they, yes. like, still <laughs> <film> my... they <laughs>
0: thinking VDM's holding your face, and it's just...
4: It was so funny. They wanted me to get. They wanted me to be involved. They um, they felt like uh, the you know basically the, the team captain being absent is a little bit uh, loose when you're trying to feature a, a team series. So um, he got me in via phone, and obviously, I, you know me, man. I can't come days before because of work. So it was the best we could do, and it was. It turned out pretty well, actually. The video was awesome. I think that the uh, team showcase has revitalized some careers on our team. Um, you know, you and I like to joke about it a little, you know, once in a while, but uh, people that, you know, now you know, when they see us, like Travis, myself, Chris Finnell, uh, these are people that maybe have fallen out of the public's love or just kind of like fell into a little bit of obscurity and now man, they, they are building a following again, so I was listening to Rob and can't disagree with him more, mainly because I hate him right now. Um, You're Walter.
1: <laughs> we can go, we'll go over it. <laughs> okay,
4: I mean, there's no reason. I just just don't like him as a human. Um, <laughs> I don't know why. I'm sure we'll talk about it more. Um, but at this point, you know, he, he, the team series is not exactly firing off on all cylinders because it's still it's still in the infancy. I, I think you're going to be pretty impressed. Uh, from I was talking to um, Rosenberg, Mike Rosenberg, who's the head of the team. Um, uh, through the whole team series of wizards, and I've been going, I've had a lot of back and forth dialogue with them because we've had some drama with our six member not able to show up for events due to uh, um, medical conditions, and um, basically, like you know, two or three of us that can't get there until the day of the tournament, so we're like that team. Not only are we a bunch of silvers and nobodies at the beginning, but also, um, you know, we all have jobs, so. Casing us was a challenge, and this guy basically has told us these big plans they have for the team series. I think it's going to be great next year. But yeah, it's, right now, no one should be super impressed by it. But you can tell if you watch coverage at all, and I went back and watched a lot of the tape, and they're really putting their eggs in this basket. They really want this team series to be like the new wave of like competitive magic. And I'll, I, I see them doubling, tripling down on next year. Uh, Shaheen, I.
0: Just tell me why, like, the, the Pro Tour was a huge success for your team because it got all of you to the. I don't actually know how it works. Like, it got you all to go, like, someone gets gold and all of you jump on the. Oh, like,
4: it's much, much weirder than that, actually. Yeah. Okay. So, explain that to me. Yeah. So, the team series, we really have nothing to do with each other. Um, <laughs> Like when we first formed the team, like there, it was just like one of those. Well, we might as well have a team because what's the downside? You know, we are in the final two teams of like that's basically like like in the mega million for us to be in the final two teams. But we got into fifth and we looked and we're like, oh, well, maybe we can, you know, be in the running. So then we opened the PDF file and we noticed at the bottom it said after Pro Tour Omicat, the top four teams have all members qualified with airfare paid for for Whoa. japan for kyoto so we're like oh god <laughs> travis or travis uh, had uh 34 points 33 points guaranteed for the tournament just by showing up so he's two points from gold but no invite to kyoto i am just i suck i like <laughs> i miss i missed the pro tour in honolulu uh, for my friend's wedding so, like, I was down a pro tour, and I had 16 points on the year. Um, so I was out. Um, the only chance we had for us to be qualified minus Grand Prix success in the you know, these few weeks is if somehow one of those top eights again. <laughs> and Chris Finnell top eight again. And um, they gave us a threshold of um, 20 points at least minimum for him because he was 14-1 and one at one point. And finish the tournament 14 and 2, but basically first seed and first seed gets 20 points. So, on the flip side of that, we actually were still a super big dog to finish top four. We were still slated to finish sixth place. Puzzle Quest, we, he got paired against Reed Duke in round 14. We talked to him before the round we we're like, you have to play Reed. And he's like, why? And we're like, if you beat Reed, if Reed doesn't, if Reed top eights, Puzzle Quest will pass some points. So, Chris Fennell, Dream Crush Reed Duke out of the top. Which is great in a way because it shows this whole new dynamic to this team series. You're fighting for your team's life here. <laughs> and wow. obviously beating Reed was sad because Reed's awesome. But you know it, it had to happen. So by beating Reed, it basically put him into a, playing for ninth or 10th place in the last round when he was on feature. He was already out. He beat Huey before that. Same reason. 13 and he was like 13 and 1 or 12 and 1 play Huey beat him so he basically Chris Fennell KO'd Puzzle Quest and put them locked in to fifth place so left the fourth spot open the drama continues in the top eight Eric Froelich had to lose in the first round he did Uh, the German player from Eureka had to lose in the first round he did those two things happened we got exactly fourth by one point above Puzzle Quest and qualified us all for the Pro Tour for Kyoto that was crazy, man. It's it this little line in the what? bottom of the... Yeah, it's crazy. That's right. insane. It's like
0: runner, runner, runner. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, if, if Chris would have won round one in the, if, in the top eight, it would have, like, made the, all the scenarios, like, disappear. Right. Um, but with him losing, we basically, I, I went to sign up for the sealed event on the side of the Pro Tour for fun. Like, the free sealed. <laughs> I, I was just depressed. I couldn't take it anymore. And <laughs> Eric's matchup was insane. Frolic's matchup was insane. Like for him, and Jerry was a huge dog to. We think Mama Black against Marvel is a huge dog. Like, you know, 30%, where we're like 45% with White because we have Anguish and Making, we have Gideon. Um, but yeah, he, he, he smashed him. He smashed him. And as a winning tournament, I, you know, basically it felt like after we saw Reed, or excuse me, Jerry win and Frolic lose. We were jumping up and down. They had a big announcement for us. It almost felt like we won the Pro Tour. Like, you know, we're, people were high fiving me and, and Travis, and everyone was like wooing, you know, because. Wow. I love Travis Woo. So, you know, they were all chanting for him. And it was it was a crazy thing. We were, this is a spectator, by the way. You know, we're watching and we're getting celebration going on. So um, it, was, it was awesome. So great Pro Tour for me. I didn't really win many matches. I finished 9 7. But remember, we won by one point. So that extra point I got prevented us from a tie. Travis Wu won the last round, gave us a one-point edge. So, yeah, it's kind of complicated for the listeners, you know, basically because it's, it's a weird bylaw at the very bottom in the fine print saying, qualify everybody. But it, it was really exciting for those who were in the loop. But, wow,
0: what a story. And, and Travis, obviously, with his huge... He's off the wall, but he's got this huge, huge, huge following on Twitch. People were begging for him to be featured, and I can understand the fans really cheering the Lingering Souls, and I, I, just the concept of Lingering Souls, like you said, just people that you know nobody wanted just left there and just put together. It's a great story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, Rob, tell us what happened between you and Shaheen at the PT? He was
1: so, yeah, so, rude. He was so rude to me at the draft table. sat right to <laughs> my left. He just ignored me. We were even, like, talking during the draft. He just pretended he didn't know who I was. We get paired against each other round one. It's just like, hey, (laughs) what's up? I'm like, hey, it's nice to see you again. He's like, oh, you know, kind of like, do I know you type of thing? Like, who is this random? (laughs) Like, we did a podcast, like, a little while ago. I don't know if you remember that. (laughs) He's like, oh, and then he's like, "Uh, yeah, you know, I, I forget things or whatever. I'm getting old. I was like, yeah, I understand. Me too. Me too. But anyways, yeah, it was all in good fun. Um, I think he's mostly mad at uh, Greg Orange, so that's, that's probably who you're really mad at, not me. <laughs> Although I did make your journey to uh, to get that one point just a little bit harder, since uh, we, we did play in the draft portion, and uh, it was the draft where I was past the Archfiend, and uh, I did use it to great success against Sheen. <laughs> and his draws were not were also just not great, so uh, the fact that I, I was able to uh, to eke out a win there uh, where I probably shouldn't even have had those great cards in my deck was uh, unfortunate for you guys, I guess. But you guys got there, so no harm, no foul, right? <laughs> oh yeah, all is forgiven. I mean, obviously,
4: <laughs> I, I tell told the Greg Orange story to everybody at the Pro Tour. Any anyone who's wanted to listen to it, I told um, just a vit- vitriol, like you know, hate speech about him. Because come on, man, you're at a Pro Tour. You can't take foil counterspell. Don't you think we all want to take foil counterspell? <laughs> they know we all want to take the shiny fun cards. Like, he can go X-Force and win 5000 bucks and, you know, 10 pro points. Like, get, or you know, 15 pro points. Get out of here. What are you taking <laughs> care
1: of? Yeah, it was crazy. Oh, well, I, I played him, because uh, we played the second round, I guess, right? I played him in the first round of the draft. And um, I, I was like, when I sit down, I was like, I really want to know after we play this match, like, what you took. Over the Archfiend. Like I'm like, maybe it was full Archfiend. Like I, I don't know. Like Black Seemed open to my seat, so I'm trying to think like what did he value over that? Maybe it was a foil because it was a foil that was missing in the pack for sure. I was like, Oh, maybe it was a foil glory bringer. I'm like, oh that's kind of close. Maybe it was like a foil angel, like the white angel or something. I'm like, okay, cool. So I was like, Maybe it was like a Ronus or whatever. Like I can see there's arguments to be made for these cards, right? And he's just like, It's not that exciting. <laughs> and then in game three, he's like, counterspells my rise from the grave or whatever it's called. The one that makes a bunch of zombies. And I was like, uh, I see what you took, I guess. <laughs>
4: it's insane. Like, what is wrong with you?
1: And he, like,
4: he basically, after I braided him and his team braided him and everyone in the hall braided him. Um, <laughs> oh, you guys got, actually attacked him in person? Oh, yeah. I went up to him in yellow. <laughs> okay. Because. He not only, like, derailed my draft, and uh, not just me, but he, the guy he beat, um, so he, you beat him, but, right, you beat, do you, did you beat him? I beat Greg Orange, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you beat him, but then he actually beat a couple other people. Or, you know, you, I, I'm getting my story mixed up. You beat me, and you beat the other guy um, that we were complaining to. I forgot who the third person, who was the other guy you beat? No, this? I
1: just I beat Greg. I beat you. I lost in the finals to um someone that actually had the final rewards and the castouts in his deck. Oh yeah, so you, he was, you, was able to kill the archfiend. Yeah,
3: <laughs> I was no. like, well, this
1: isn't just like uh, you're dead. No, oh, you yeah, have removal. Oh great, great. Okay,
4: yeah, that's what I meant. So he, he basically by him doing that, he derailed his own tournament mind and just gave you a demon. Um, you played great. But your deck was a pile of junk. It was horrible. Like it was a, it was like you know, forty tormenting voices and a, de- uh, an archfiend. It was art. So it was just art. <laughs> I mean, my deck was worse than your deck without the archfiend. My deck's like a three. Mine was really horrible. But I'd say yours left four. Once you got that demon, you're like at a nine because you're guaranteed to draw it with like all the cantrips and whatever. But like you know, if you you just don't, you're at a Pro Tour. You don't pass that. You ruin both of our drafts. Craig Wesco took Force so Oil. Well. You know that. <laughs> This is our draft head. he opened bill. back one pick one. Greg opened counter spell. I opened spell pierce. Three masterpieces in our dress. Three blue masterpieces for the first pack. What? So, what? Yeah. Three? Yeah. three? Yeah. Apparently. Two of the clowns took it first pick. <laughs> and I'm the reserved <laughs> one? I, I pass it. <laughs> Come on. I mean, force of will is an argument to be had. Let's you know, a couple hundred dollars. Like, and you can still win a draft. Counterfell's $30. Like, I don't know. It, it was just, it was infuriating. But yeah, he, he got the, you know, we, we gave him a few verbal lashings for that. And congratulations on your 2-1. You, you earned it. I'm not Thank mad you. anymore. I'm good. Thank you very much. No problem. At the time, <laughs> us, and I, you know what? You, babe, how salty you saw me in that match? I wasn't even salty. That's as salty as I get when I was kind of qu- Quiet for like what forty bucks an hour match or so. That's about as much salt as I provided in the match, and that was
1: a moment of silence for the archfiend. It was good. It was good. I was I was not offended by how appalled you were at me getting past <laughs> Archie. Oh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Greg Orange. <laughs> <laughs> um, moving on to to this weekend, Gene. Uh, you're going to be coming down, Chrisi, w- with my help to the, to get a place to stay. Um, boy. Brian, Brian has talked about him seeing uh, that the tools, he thinks the tools of control uh, might be there, and, and, and if they are, now that the metagame is more crystallized, now we know what to attack this coming weekend, do you think there's something
4: there? Are you working on something? Yeah, I actually, um, right on the plane back and at the airport, I had a bunch of um, time to build, and... I am probably going to be playing Blue-Black Control this weekend. Uh, Blue-White doesn't have the pieces to handle anything in the metagame. It's actually unplayable now. Uh, it was actually pretty weak before the Pro Tour, and after the Pro Tour, it is you just can't play M.L.A. and Glare as a removal spell. Um, you have to be able to kill Cryptbreaker on command. you got to be able to utilize Gear Hulk. Uh, so White is out. And Cast Out is too expensive. No one's playing Planeswalker, so you don't really need it. So I built this blue-black control deck I'm going to write about this week. It's going to be featuring, um, you know, the, the best removal from black Fatal Push Grass like it has been. Um, you get to spade all together because you have Sensor uh, that you're able to cycle to hit land drops if need be and Hieroglyphic uh, elimination. Um, Hmm. He plays uh, Yehini's expertise, which is really fantastic against zombies, and they never see it coming because it's people who just don't play these cards. But Yahini's expertise is at its best right now because it's great against zombies and it's great against Marvel. Uh, people don't really think it's great against Marvel, like it's not intuitive. But all their creatures are, you know, two threes and three twos and two two servants, and a lot of like riffraff is left over from the from the Thopters, and that aspect of Marvel can be the control deck. But Yahini allows you to clean it up. Um, and you just play a ton of counter spells for the marble itself. So I've been having a lot of game one success. It's a 4 pull from tomorrow deck. Um, I play like the secret card in there that's actually like been really impressive. It's complete disregard. Uh, if you have to go back, there's an Eldrazi removal spell from ages ago. It's, you know what it is? Uh, maybe for the listeners, just to put it out there. It's
1: not funny, it's a serious card. All right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I drafted this card a lot. It was really good in draft. Really good in draft. It's three <laughs> mana, exile a creature
4: with power three or less, and that covers actually, uh, shockingly, the entire format right now. So like, it covers. And you need to be able to exile Scra- Scrappy Scrounger and Relentless Dead. Those are like two things that Blue Black can't handle. Um, I'm only putting one copy in the main and then one on the board. But like with all the dig, you're able to get to it. Otherwise, you got to like. Really spend a lot of resources killing um, Relentless Dead and Scroungers and uh, the 2 1 Zombie and all that stuff. So the deck's been sweet. Um, I'm really impressed with like the way it's been playing out. And uh, Liliana is best post Yahini cast. And Liliana is great against zombies, like phenomenal. If you go Yahini's expertise, Liliana off that on four, it's really tough to lose that matchup you wow. time like, you don't think you don't believe me am I well,
1: come well, on No, I, I think, think, think this is correct. I think your thought process is correct. I, I have a a list sitting in my whoa, whoa. Br- group box that's very, very close. I, our numbers are probably not the same, but I have all of the same cards pulled in minus complete disregard. Maybe that's the <laughs> missing puzzle piece. <laughs>
2: what do you think, Brian? Uh, I think this sounds. Promising. What's are you playing four Gear Hulk still?
4: Uh three Gear Hulk but three Liliana. And yep. so the Liliana acts as like a Gear Hulk rebuy and with pull from tomorrow, you get you know, I've I've been back and forth. Like you could play four. It really depends. You still don't want to lose the Mardu, and I lost to Mardu by being Gear Hulk overloaded. But against the other decks you can't really draw too many Gear Hulks. Um Mardu is the matchup where you get punished by a license disintegration and just having Three, six drops in your hand. Uh, zombies, once you expertise them once, they're pretty much on the ropes. Um, I play a lot of negates made, too. So it makes Gearhulk better. It's three negates, three disallow, three censor. Uh, the number's are a little weird. Three fatal push, four grass of darkness, three Liliana, one complete disregard. But here's the list for people listening to write down real quick before they are the <laughs> Three expertise... Uh, two hieroglyphic illumination, four pull, and that might be 34, I think. Maybe exactly. there's one flex slot in there that's been... Um, I had it as a third hieroglyphic illumination or the fourth sensor. Um, pretty much same t- like utility for it.
2: Four pull, that sounds hot. Yeah, I'm into four I've been talking about four pull for a while. I think that's the way, and I... I would move even further from gear Probably I'd probably play two copies just based on hearing those numbers. I think you can get away with it now. I think you, you can't afford your hand to get kind of gummed up the way gear tends to, um, especially since we're not scrying as much anymore. We're losing glimmer. Um, so I, I think you have a little bit more, um, you're, you're more about velocity at this point, right? And gear can be a problem with Velocity. Uh, he kind of chokes you until you hit this point. And he's certainly a form of inevitability, um, but Paul does that job just as well. I don't think you're as reliant at, at this point on Gear Hulk, and it's kind of like one of these crutches that we're all hesitant to get away from. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if this is the time. that it, If those numbers shrink further throughout testing, it won't surprise me at all. Yeah, the Gear Hulk. I would love to play the Zero. Um, I agree. It
4: really comes down really to the control mirrors where you really feel it. Yeah. Um, you you basically draw your deck, and um, have an issue closing the games out. And when they start gear-hulking you, the black removal, uh, you're playing a lot of conditional removal. You could play like a um, like a murder. You could play like never main deck, but those cards kind of are poopy. You know, not a big fan of them. Uh, I think like if you want to cut them all together, you're gonna need to play some funky win condition. Like maybe play a uh, like against blue red. If you play a main deck Sphinx of the Final Word or Last Word or whatever, play one, you can win the game easily off that. And you play zero Gear Hulk, uh, but you need you otherwise if you don't have a, a critical mass of Gear Hulks, you'll lose the Control Mirror nearly every time because they just glimmer you and you're like going back and forth with card draw and all that. But then they eventually just resolve a Gear Hulk. It takes a lot of resources to deal with that, and then they just chain them. And I think the only matches I've lost to you know, the Control Mirror is just, you know, two, three, four Gearhulk draws that they have, um, where you're kind of just, like, flooded with, like... You, you bury them with cards, so you have four pull, but your hand is just gummed up with, like, fatal pushes and grasps and things
2: that are pretty useless when they're, like, Gearhulking, glimmering, putting bad cards on the bottom. Um, Maybe so, yeah, just dispossessed. Like, that's a card I actually hate. As an abstract card, but if if that's what the matchup is all about at this point, I you could certainly talk me into dispossessing. Um, oh,
4: they'll, they'll they'll lose on the spot if you dispossess. Yeah, it. the blue red deck anyway. As built, they have dragon. They have dragon master, outcast or whatever, afterboard and maybe thing in the ice. Um, but like if you if you dispossess them, they're they toast. I think they're that's a good. I think that's a fine sideboard card. Uh, game one, I, I really don't have a problem with Sphinx of the Final Word, honestly. Like you need a like you need a way to close games out and Westvale Abbey, I play two Westvale Abbey. Uh I play three Liliana like I said, but uh those are very uh fragile ways to win. Um Ulamog actually can't deal with Sphinx and you're not playing any real true board sweepers. So I've actually had Sphinx out and been able to beat Ulamog um due to just being you know, just beating down and you know, it's hex proof and you know, all your spells are resolving and theirs aren't, so it's pretty good. And you're able to, like, disallow, like, triggers from Marvel and things like that pretty easily. And uh, the more I think about it, the more I like the one. Uh, it's in the board, and I think, like, you're right. I think eventually, and we talked. me and uh, Donald Smith, we were we tried Blue Wipe for three weeks for the Pro Tour, and we did, came up, ultimately, with that. Torrential Gearhawk is not a four of them. We were down to one. Uh, then I, I released a list of zero playing... um you know, uh, the second Sun card and just, you know, we're trying to find a way to win without it because it is a... We, t- we were joking at the Pro Tour. It's tap six mana, take three
1: damage, draw two cards. <laughs> That's what do. That doesn't sound impressive. <laughs> Uh, that was my analysis of the card just before you joined the cast, too, I think. <laughs> oh,
4: good. Good. Accurate.
0: Shaheen, Sh- quickly, uh, why, why blue? Why no thoughts to blue-red uh, in a uh, quick sentences?
4: I think blue-red is, um, to, put it, to put it nicely, I think that the sweepers, uh, the cycling sweepers, great. So that part's okay. It's really like the the removal is super conditional. I think Magma Spray is a trap, and I think you're going to lose. Like right, people didn't play Blue Red because it was bad, weak versus Marvel. Or not Marvel, uh, Mardu. That's an understatement of the century. It's not weak versus Mardu. You just can't beat Mardu. Like unless they are living, unless you you exactly negate on two. Don't have essence Scatter in your hand. Unless they play a creature, then you exactly have Essence Scatter. And then they play Gideon, you exactly don't have a SCR. Now you're back to having your negate. And, the and then one draw that they have when they have a second Gideon, you better have had a, a third negate. Like things at the lineup so godly perfect for you when you're playing blue red, it's obscene. Um, Harness Lightning is, fanta- is a fantastic removal spell, but it's not Fatal Push, Push plus Grass. Seven copies of those. You have four Harness Lightning, and Magma Spray is, is pretty embarrassing unless it's a scrapping scrounger okay uh we gotta wrap things
0: up uh shaheen but so last question like you ended up on the on the zombies deck and I, I remember i asked you what you and travis might be thinking of playing and you mentioned like zombies might be the front runner but you weren't excited um so does the Panel doing well with it not not change your opinion is it still a uh, back to control type thing what what's the deal
4: what's your uh, verdict on zombies right now I think Zombies has chased Mardu out of the format. Um, I think that, you know, by doing that, it has opened the door for control. I think control is heavily favored against zombies. Heavily favored. I think control can beat uh, Marvel on a consistent basis. Percent to 40% matchup of Mardu, that being eliminated, open the door for control. You know, if there's a door open for control, I'm abandoning ship on zombies immediately. Um, <laughs> I mean, I I played it because I honestly believed, and I was pretty dead on, that Control cannot beat Mardu, and that's why the room was off Control. There are very few Control decks. Um, You know, if if Control is alive, I'll I'll jump into it, and if people are playing Zombies, which I think they will, I think Montreal is going to be a zombie fest, and if that's the case, I'm going to bring my expertise, and I know that playing zombies and playing as good players playing zombies, you can't hold back with that deck. It's not a deck to go free drop, hang out, and wait. You have to, it's a critical mass deck, your, your tokens deck. You need multiple, a massive amount out to draw cards with it and keep, create the engine to have the eventual win. Um, and I think that a, a well-built control deck can really take advantage of it. Do you see uh, Mardu being able to tweak itself to be better against zombies? Nope. No, no shot. No, because you have to. If they play like maybe four fumigate, the the problem is like they play two fumigate, which is great after board. Right, but you have to draw it, and they don't draw it all the time. And when they sometimes they do draw it, and those are the draws where you're like, you know, you have mastery and you have like you know a, a, a more controlling zombie start. I think that game one they're so disadvantaged. Mardu is that being down a game and then baking on the Fumigate is pretty tough. I think that they could play four Fumigate, but I would hate to see some of those opening hands of that deck. Like, what do you cut? Like, you can't, you can't just beat them. Uh, so our plan was we brought in four uh, Transgressive Mind, we brought in four Scrounger, four Gideon against Mardu on the play. We know they go to the control route. And they did it every time, like Clockwork. And we were just like, all right, transgress you, take your Fumigate if they have it, or your Planeswalker. And then their hand is just embarrassing, like, removal spells, which are just not that good in the long run against zombies. So I don't know if the color combination itself, I, I just don't think it's lean and as efficient as zombies. So I don't see why you would want to play that deck over zombies, because you don't have the explosiveness. You have the explosiveness, but you don't have the long game of inevitability that zombies have. So I don't know. I, I just can't see an aggro player choosing Mardu over Zombies. I mean, they will. If you have Mardu built, you're going to play it. It's going to be still played. Uh, still powerful. But like Brian, uh, BBD, he you know got his clock clean. So they were all two great players. And they were beating round after round after round. And he's like, you know, he's told me, like, man, I think I'm bad at Magic. I'm like, no, your deck is just... Great. <laughs> it's so bad. Bad. Yeah, I mean, when you're putting his turn one crit breaker and you know you're dead, I mean, it's embarrassing when you're playing, like, a top-tier deck, so.
0: Wow. I'm kind of excited for this weekend if, like, the three of us play uh,
4: Blue-Black Control.
0: And, oh, man, Blue-Black Control is very yeah. good for Rob. Or, uh, es- oh, it was Esper, right, Rob, that you want your GP? It was Esper, yeah, uh, but it was, like, it was, like, basically Blue-Black Control splashing Ojitai. Ooh, it's a good omen. All right. A- any uh, questions, Brian, Rob, for Shaheen as we uh, end this? Last... No, I'm just
2: glad I have another person on the anti-gear hulk train with me I've been, I've been saying get rid of gear hulks for a while now and I believe it was uh, it was lumped in with my comparisons that unlicensed disintegration might be unplayable you guys, uh, you guys ripped on me again for the gear hulk trend. But, uh, <laughs> I think it's going that way and I think we'll see gear hulks kind of it's not the right time for them, there's a lot of vulnerability in, on the gear hulk plan and I, I want control to be really good again so I think this is the move we're going to have to make to see it happen
1: Okay, Rob, anything else? No, no, me and Shaheen had enough banter at the All right. well, we're
0: going to (laughs) reunite this weekend, (laughs) take some pictures, do something, (laughs) and uh, we'll see you all uh, at Montreal, and uh, definitely we'll be tweeting. Result, thank you so much, Shaheen, for coming back on the show. Go Team Lingering Souls. We'll catch you next time. Yep. Take it easy, guys.